Welcome to the Torah Guide, a podcast where we explore how the Hebrew Bible is all about Jesus and meditate on what it has to say to us. I'm your host, Aaron Dranoff. Hey guys, today is a big milestone. This is the last episode in the Messianic Trajectory series. I hope that the series and this podcast in general has been a helpful tool to help you in your own Bible reading, and I pray that it'll continue to be into the future. So thanks for coming on this journey with me. If this podcast is helpful for you, there's a place you can learn even more about how the Old Testament points to Jesus and why traditional Judaism today doesn't accept him. My book, Judaism, the Messiah, and Jewish Identity. So from right now until the end of March, I'm going to send a copy of Judaism, the Messiah, and Jewish Identity to everyone who signs up to be a monthly financial partner with the Torah Guide as a thank you. Your monthly gift can be for any amount. You can sign up at thetorahguide.com slash give, and I'll send you a copy. And your gift is going to allow us to keep helping people experience the good news of Jesus through scripture. So I've talked a little bit about how the next series is going to be about the Hebrew Bible's nonstop search for the new Adam, which basically means there's a continuous repetition of new main characters or group of characters from Adam all the way to Jesus that essentially all work together. That repetition all works together to create the expectation for a very specific individual who, of course, is Jesus himself. So that's going to be the next series, and we'll be able to start that when we're fully funded. I'm hoping that that'll be by the end of March with all of y'all's help. Until then, I'll be continuing to run the Torah Guide social media pages uninterrupted. So if you already have an Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook, there's new mini teachings, animations, and other helpful content all for you there being updated all the time. So you can stay up to date with us there. Um, If you don't already have social media, you know, don't download it just for that. You can go to thetorahguide.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter you'll be able to stay in the loop that way. Okay, let me talk about what we started last week and what I'm going to try to do today. Last week, we unpacked a little bit about how after the Hebrew Bible was completed, a Jewish man named Jesus was born in our world, and he was preaching something called the gospel. Gospel literally means the good news, but is at the same time loaded with more meaning than just news that is good. In the original language, which is Greek, it is a technical term that refers to the good news about a new king. That's the meaning of the Greek word, euangelion, and the New Testament was written in Greek. But it's also the most fitting term to announce the actualization or manifestation of what the Hebrew Bible was all meant to point forward to, Israel's king, who was meant to be the savior of all the nations. So this term that means good news about a new king is perfect to describe exactly what the Hebrew Bible is all about when it finally comes to pass. Euangelion, the good news of the new king, the gospel. The New Testament carries the Hebrew Bible story forward by beginning with four different perspectives of the new king's story. And each account in this four-part biography, which is called the gospel, is carefully designed to show how Jesus' story is the story anticipated by the Hebrew Bible. So today we're going to look at Mark and a little bit at John to see what Jesus himself thought about the gospel. And we'll talk some more about what it is that Jesus did for us. All right, so we've already seen that these biographies are meant to demonstrate 
that Jesus has launched a kingdom and that the best thing for each of us is to take part in his kingdom, which is why it's called by a word that means the good news of a new king, like we just said. But now, let's just let Mark launch us into what this gospel message is. So I'll just read from the beginning of how Mark opens his biography about Jesus. And as I do, you might remember back to the last episode where we talked about Matthew, Luke, and John, and how each of them, throughout their entire accounts of Jesus's life, consistently tie their story back to the Hebrew Bible story, all to show how Jesus and their entire this entire four-part gospel or, or four accounts of Jesus's life are all the fulfillment of what the Hebrew Bible was all about. So throughout this entire four-part work, the way that they're going about their entire mission is to show that Jesus is concluding all of this vast expectation for this one person. So it's not as if we can just point to specific things and just check off boxes of of things that Jesus accomplished because the entire four-part gospel account of Jesus's life by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all doing that, and it took four books to do. So what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about how they went about doing that. And last week, we talked about how Matthew, Luke, and John all introduced that and how they start going about that. And now we're going to look a little bit more into Mark. So let me just read from the beginning of Mark to see how Mark tries to demonstrate that this whole story is the good news of a new king. So let me just let, me just let Mark speak for itself. Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, there you have it, right? I mean, what is this biography about? It's about the gospel, which is the good news of a king. His name is Jesus. He's the Christ or Messiah. Christ and Messiah are synonyms. And he's the Son of God. I'll read it again. Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. According to Mark, just like we saw in the other three accounts, this story is about the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, and it began a long time ago, as written in the Tanakh. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. According to each gospel author, this story is not beginning with their writing. It's the culmination of a long-awaited and thoughtfully developed and very contextualized set of promises. So this has been going on a long time through Israel's national or family history. So Mark starts off by telling us he's about to begin the story that was written about in Isaiah the prophet. And then what he actually quotes from Isaiah, he's not only quoting Isaiah, he's actually blending two quotes together. Only one of them is Isaiah. Now you might remember we talked in an earlier episode about how the second section of the Hebrew Bible, the prophets, is thought of in two units, the former prophets and the latter prophets. The latter prophets begins with Isaiah and ends with Malachi. So Mark tells us that he's beginning the story that is written about in Isaiah, and then he blends two quotes from the last book in the latter prophets, Malachi, and then from the first book of the latter prophets, Isaiah. So in Mark, it sounds like this. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. That's from Malachi 3. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's from Isaiah 40. The idea is very similar to the other three gospel accounts of Jesus. Mark designed page one of his account to show that the story of this real person that Mark loves so much is what the Hebrew Bible was always about. 
The whole story is really one story all about Jesus from beginning to end. Then in the next few verses, which is verses 4 through 13, there are several lines that are each flags meant to remind us of moments and people in the prophets and also from the Torah. But let's move down to verse 14 because we're here to see what the gospel is. Mark started by saying, hey, this is the gospel about Jesus. And then in verse 14, we're told Jesus is going around preaching the gospel. So here's what it says. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. So, okay, this is it. Jesus is preaching the gospel of God, which is what the book of Mark and all the gospels are about, Jesus. So let's hear from Jesus's mouth. So Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's going around preaching the gospel and he says one thing, which is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. He's preaching the gospel and the thing that he actually says is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he tells you to repent and believe it. So what he's telling people to repent and believe is, you know, the thing that he said. Repent and believe that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. The kingdom of God is is here. This is from the mouth of the man that the book of Mark and the other biographers all agree is the king of this kingdom. The gospel message summarized by Jesus, the king, is that the kingdom of God arrived as its king arrived. And this message demands a response. Repent. Turn away from your old ways. Or you could say turn away from the old king and believe in, trust in the new king, Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand, arriving. This should take us to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came into the world to bring life. The kingdom that Jesus was sent to launch through his death and resurrection is the antidote to evil and death that's been polluting creation since Genesis. He came to bring life to whoever will believe in him, whoever will place their trust in him and let him shape their life. The Hebrew Bible shows that human nature, from Adam and Eve to Noah, to Abraham, to Israel, and so many others, our nature is to trust ourselves to be the king, the ruler of our own life, to trust ourselves to decide what's good and what's evil, what's right and wrong. The message of the Bible, though, is that trusting ourselves as king will actually kill us, and it pollutes creation with evil. And we were created to be much better and more valuable than people who decide right and wrong for ourselves and fill the world with evil as we go around. So God, our creator, worked to create a solution. He sent his son, Jesus, to launch his long-promised life-giving kingdom. The coming of this kingdom is not a mission to come punish the wicked and tear down evildoers. Jesus' message is that the wicked, evil people of the world are already condemned. They're already headed towards destruction. We're already headed towards destruction. Jesus came as the antidote. The next verse, after John 3.16, continues. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. 
The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3, 16-18 If you've been following this series, I hope that this calls to mind Psalm 2. We talked about it last episode. Psalm 2 is an important moment where God summarizes his plan for how he's going to deal with the wicked world powers. His plan is to install his son as king to separate the good from the evil. And the determining factor for who is counted good is those people who give their allegiance to God's son, the king. They trust in him. They give their allegiance to him. They submit to him. And the evil are those who reject that good king. But this is amazing. The psalm does not say that it's too late for the wicked. Instead, it ends with a call asking, please turn from your ways and follow this king so you too can experience life so you don't have to experience destruction. So Jesus' arrival as the unique son of God is the launching of that kingdom, the kingdom of God. And your story and my story intersect with this king's story. It's a choose-your-own-adventure type of story. Do you accept the good king who has come to save you from your own impending destruction? Or do you think of him like Psalm 2 describes the wicked, thinking of him as some power monger who's trying to tie you down so that you want to escape him, which ultimately leads to you rejecting him? If you accept him, you're choosing life. And if you reject him, if you refuse to accept Jesus, you're clinging to being your own king. Being your own king means that just like Adam you're continuing to pollute the world with evil. In other words, you already stand condemned before the Creator. But how can you trust God's version of good and evil when His way of life doesn't line up with your own feelings or what you think life should be? One thing to think about is that we can be sure that the God of the Bible takes evil far more seriously than we do. And this is a good thing. When God created the world, He saw that it was good. And throughout the Tanakh, we see time and time again that God deeply loves and cares for his creation, and that specifically he has our best interests in mind. He loved us so much that he repeatedly works with us as we rebel against him in every generation, and he even died for us while we were still rejecting him. God hates evil because of all the pain and suffering it spreads around the good world that he created and he loves. And we all know that evil spreads pain and suffering around. We look at the evil in the world and sometimes we think that God must be evil to allow so much suffering. Or we think that God must not exist because if there was an all-powerful being, he would never allow the things that happen in the world to happen. There's so much violence in the world. There's war and murder and we want it gone from the world and rightly so. So does God. But the wars and the murder are symptoms. The root of the problem is something else. Jesus tells us that God takes it far more seriously than you and I do. God doesn't just want murder gone from the world. He takes it more seriously. He wants hate gone from the world. He wants the desire to harm someone else for our own gain instead of selflessly loving them and being kind to them no matter what. He wants that gone from the world, his world. He takes evil so much more seriously than we do, and he's telling us that we can and should trust him. I hope you can see that the kingdom Jesus launched to free us from our sin is also a mission to remove pain and suffering from the world. 
But look at what this war and murder comes from, where the hate comes from. It comes from us. It comes from in, in your heart. If you're like me, and you are, you know you've been angry. You've even been hateful. Even if you can only think of a moment here or there where you have been, you, you have been. For me, even though I've never killed another person, I know I'm still part of the same problem. I'm bringing evil into God's good creation. So if we see the evil in the world and wish God would just get rid of it right now so people wouldn't have to suffer, the reality is if God got rid of evil right now, we'd be gone too. Our anger, our lust, our jealousy, our hate, all of our selfish intentions are the source of evil in the world. We want evil to be gone from the world, but we don't want to be gone from the world. This is what Jesus is tapping into when, in the book of John, he he says he didn't come to judge the world. The one who doesn't believe in him is judged already because he has not believed in, trusted in, the only Son of God. What's underneath that is, the Son of God is the only one who can free you and me from the consequences of our evil that comes from our hearts. And when we accept him and trust in him as our king, since he is good, as we follow him, He shapes us into good people. He transforms our character because he is good and we're following him. Just, I want to be clear that being saved by Jesus isn't about being good or bad. Doesn't mean if you be a good enough person, you're following Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Jesus isn't going to let the world be polluted by evil forever. His mission is to get evil out of his world that's corrupting his creation, including you and me. And if we refuse to allow Jesus in your life, he's going to separate you as he separates the evil from the righteous. So when he separates evil from the world, you'll be separated along with it. But who will not be separated is the people in his kingdom who do allow him to shape their lives as they trust in him and believe in him. This is the good news. When you trust Jesus, when you trust his definition of good and evil, his way of life, He'll get rid of the evil in you. His plan isn't to come and destroy us. His plan has been, since the book of Genesis, to get the evil out of his beloved world and heal you and me. The ultimate proof that Jesus doesn't want to destroy you, he's not angry at you and just wants to wipe you out, is the way that he launched his kingdom. The climax of all four Gospels is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you think about this, not all biographies are about the death of somebody. I'm just thinking about, I I was in the bookstore the other day and I saw a biography of Barack Obama. That's clearly not about his death and resurrection because he's very much still alive. So a biography does not have to end with somebody's death, but all four gospels about Jesus chose to tell their story showing Jesus's death and resurrection as the climax and ending point of the story. Didn't have to be told that way, but there's a reason that it is told that way. Jesus launched his kingdom by being enthroned on the cross, the execution device that he died on. That's his throne. This man, Jesus, who is the promised seed of the woman and son of man, who is also the seed of Abraham, came as promised to restore Israel and bring blessing to all nations. But at the same time, he was always supposed to be righteous and suffer like Joseph. And that's exactly what happens. That's what he does. He's rejected by his people, by his brothers, even his closest disciples run from him and flee. 
he's turned over to the Gentiles and he's executed by them. He suffers and dies to launch his life-giving kingdom. What Jesus did brings us into his kingdom in the most personal way possible. He personally died for you and me and came back to life. And if we believe in him, we experience that new life too. So this is how personal it is, how much he cares about you. When the Son of God launched the kingdom of God, those of us who accept him become God's children. John put it like this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12 God sent Jesus into the world because he knows how messed up we are and how awful that's going to be for us and for the people around us in the world. But he wants us to be his children. If we receive Jesus, if we trust in him, believe this gospel message, God makes us his children. That is the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the seed of the woman, the one who was promised. It's good news, and he's king. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3, 16-18 I'm going to ask you a few questions. Take your time thinking about each question, and if you need to pause to think or to pray, go ahead and do that. First question, what are some specific ways in Scripture that Jesus has demonstrated that he is worth placing his trust in? Next question. When you think about the message of Jesus launching the kingdom of God by dying for our sins to bring us life, do you have any doubts that his way of life is not really better than your own way of life? Last question. Will you accept Jesus and believe in him? Or will you reject his way of life, rejecting him, and continue to be your own king? Pray with me. God, we have each tried to go through life as our own rulers deciding right and wrong for ourselves. But we've all done evil. We believe that you died for our wrongdoings and you rose from the dead. We are done trusting ourselves and we trust in you. We accept the life you offer us. We invite you to shape our lives. And Jesus, we trust in you as our ruler and our savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Torah Guide Podcast. 
If you want to meditate on this lesson some more, check out the video and reading plan that go along with it, either at thetorahguide.com or on Instagram and Facebook. The Torah Guide is a totally crowdfunded nonprofit that makes all sorts of resources to help you read the Hebrew Bible and discover Jesus, including this podcast, animated videos, devotionals, reading plans, and more. And we're able to do it because of generous people like you. So if you want to be a part of helping people discover how the Hebrew Bible points to Jesus, you can sign up to become a monthly supporter or make a one-time gift at thetorahguide.com give.